0: financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella with additional insight from industry veteran Jordan Kimmel. We'll break down the news trends and overall direction of the markets telling you what may be coming next investment opportunities and what to avoid. Now here are your hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman.
1: and good evening i'm michael hartzman today is tuesday august 24th 2021 and as always i'm on with my partner dominic Tavella. how are you dominic doing great michael how are you i'm all right grateful that um we avoided a hurricane on long island this weekend
2: it uh it's not supposed to happen i think the last time we got hit was what 30 some odd years ago not not counting some of the tropical storms that have hit us, but we were very fortunate, blessed that uh, it kind of stayed offshore. And for the most part, uh, most of Long Island came through it unscathed. So uh, you know, that's I, a blessing.
1: I, I want to come back as a weatherman. They get paid well, they have great hair, and they have to be right about 25% of the time. Uh,
2: no commentary on the hair, but if we uh, if we needed to be that level of accurate on our portfolios we'd be in trouble mike so we would
1: be in big trouble dom (laughs) exactly so (laughs) i think
2: our our calls are a little bit better and and um we'll look to a brighter future weather and portfolios
1: well speaking of portfolios you know again i get to quote the great philosopher yogi Berra. um you know it's deja vu all over again the market again closed with the S&P and NASDAQ at all time highs. And I seem to say this every week. Uh, And
2: and I I do use the word frustrating intentionally here. So we started what looked to be finally a little bit of a pullback in these markets. We've talked about that we haven't seen a 5% plus correction in over 200 days. Um, And so it looks like we're finally gonna get this little rollover last week. And before you could even blink it turns around on friday upward momentum yesterday positive day today and that correction pullback did not happen again um, so it's been a, it's been a very unusual year in these markets and uh, we'll talk to some experts today and in the future about why but very frustrating as a as a portfolio manager this is very annoying and frustrating
1: and it's a little bit of a dichotomy about that i was reading a report from jp morgan earlier today to get ready for the show. And you were talking about how consumer sentiment is really pretty low. I mean, it's it's low that, than it was prior to the pandemic. And normally when we have um, less than enthusiastic investors, the market sometimes reflects that. And and even consumer sentiment hasn't been able to curb the appetite of investing. So we had two
2: things that that kind of put a little bit of a depression in the markets mood last week. And the first is that Um, you know, the COVID, this variant has been, looked like it was getting worse. And, and uh, the number of new cases on a weekly basis has been going up and up and up. And so from a mood perspective, consumer perspective, I think consumers are starting to get a little bit worried, Mike, and consumer confidence was ebbing a little bit. And, and obviously, the consumer represents 70% of the economy. So if the consumer starts to draw back their spending, that's a direct effect on, on uh, the economy, and then the politics situation around here in the US and around the world and Afghanistan, I think the general mood of the public out there was starting to get a little bit uh, negative, and that was reflected in the numbers that you just uh, uh, stated, Um, but then we had some pretty positive news on COVID and the vaccine being approved, um, and that changed the
1: mood right around, and off we went again. Off we went, and the other thing is, we both received a note from uh, Dr. Siegel, um, who's known in, on Wall Street as a perma bear, perma bull, forgive Permabool. me, perma bull. And, you know, he said, and he's a little cautious. He thinks we're going to have a little bit of a correction, but he did say at the end of the day, there are still very few alternatives to stocks with long-term bonds providing very little competition in the market, end quote. So I think that also has something to do with it, Dom, as well. There's not, not many more places to put money. Yeah, look, Mike, we get, we, you, as well as I, uh, we get calls almost
2: every day from existing clients, new clients, and where do I put my money, right? So banks are are paying virtually nothing, short term government bonds are paying virtually nothing, uh, and we are literally sitting with an excess of four, maybe as much as five trillion dollars, sitting in banks, earning virtually nothing. Uh, people are looking for alternatives where they can make that money work. So even if we get a dip in the market, it doesn't last for very long. It, the dip is not very deep and money comes rushing in to buy. it. you you've talked a lot about this, Mike.
1: Yeah, I have. And um, we're going to talk to an expert tonight. We are fortunate to have Richard Kerner, who is a senior vice president at Fidelity. He was a guest on in the winter. He had some thoughts about the market at that time. And um, we're going to bring him back this evening to kind of give us an update. And we're going to talk a little bit about the growth and value rotation and some of the sectors he likes and dislikes now.
2: Yeah, he gave us some uh, terrific advice. And I, I think we, uh, we took advantage of it um, in our allocation. We're going to bring that up with him. And it's worked out very well for us. So uh, definitely interested in what he thinks going forward. And maybe he can give us some more tips of what we can do to add value to our client portfolios.
1: Well, I'm certainly planning on that, and we will be right back after this break.
3: Are you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard on my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. That's why I keep my cash in the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, symbol L-E-T-A-X, the le tax. Rates on cash are already so low, why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. The Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund l-e-t-a-x may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket find out more about the fund by speaking with a labenthal global advisors private wealth advisor or its sponsor at dcmadvisors.com for your hard-earned cash why pay the tax when there's the tax labenthal ultra short tax-free income fund it's not what you make It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800 441 7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors LLC and Ultimus Fund Distributors LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC.
1: All right, I'm Michael Hartzman back with Dominic Tavella and our special guest this evening, Richard Kerner, Senior Vice President at Fidelity. How how are you, Rich? I'm good.
2: Good to be here with you guys. Welcome back, Rich. Uh, You were pretty valuable to us uh, the last time we spoke to you. So looking forward to sharing some of your wisdom
1: again tonight. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Well, well, thank you. So we'll just kind of jump right into it, put you on the spot. When we saw you in the wintertime, value is all the rage vaccines were coming online and things were gonna get back to normal and no more masks and hallelujah. And some of it came true and some of it didn't come true, but but growth has seemed to uh, come back in vogue. So let's just get into that a little bit. You know, what what changed the dynamic between value losing a little steam and growth uh, picking up ahead of steam. And Richard, yeah, no,
4: I, 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 I think all this pretty much Coincided with um, you know the the peak in the ten-year Treasury uh, you know at the end of the first quarter uh, you know almost topping out there at 175 and then all of a sudden there was uh, you know concerns about you know growth in the economy and ten-year uh, Treasury uh, you know now today in the you know 125 to 129 ish range and so you, you saw this rotation uh, you know kind of leave. Uh, the cyclical sectors. And certainly now, uh, I'd say maybe prior to this week, or just the first two trading days this week, uh, you know, the the market was concerned uh, about the Delta variant, uh, a little bit better news, uh, obviously, as you guys were talking about with the Full FDA approval for the Pfizer vaccine, but also you know better no uh, better news coming out of uh, Arkansas and Missouri in terms of the number of their COVID cases uh, related to the Delta variant started to turn down. So you know right now I think the, the market is still you know having this tug of war. Uh, it it can it can vary on any given day whether it's a, an employment report, whether it's a GDP report, whether it's Delta news. And so, you know, our, our recommendation uh, to clients right now is, you know, it's not very exciting, but I think you need balance. I, I think you need to have, you know, a portion of that portfolio. With those good long-term growth areas, should the economy start to slow down, um, maybe later uh, this year, in the next year, uh, where do you go when growth is scarce? You lean into growth, um, you lean into large-cap growth, you lean into innovation, you know, in areas like technology and healthcare. But you know, there's a, I, I think there's a case for, you know. Th- some inflationary pressures out there. Certainly, anyone renting, um, you know, anyone owning a business, uh, wage inflation uh, is, is certainly to be reckoned with. And so, you know, should I think the Delta variant, uh, we see the same trajectory that we saw in Israel, uh, we saw in India, and, and the United Kingdom. Should that play out here, hopefully, and cases start to go down, I think you see, you know, the, the potential for the reacceleration, uh, you know, of the consumer. Um, and, and, and that leads you back into, you know, the cyclical sectors that leads, you know, you know, things like energy and financials, uh, continuing to lead the way, which I, I know balance doesn't, you know, it, it's not the, it's not the sexiest answer, but it's, it's really what we think, um, is the best way to kind of position portfolios because there is so much uncertainty and such a tug of war between growth and value right now.
2: Uh, Rich, so you know, we, we literally caught that wind in our sails with value at the beginning of the year. And then, as you, as you said, when the 10 year interest rate started to come down, uh, growth really took over. But you had a lot of experts out there going, oh, growth is dead and we'll see a decade of value only. And it swung, growth swung right back, right? It caught, I think it caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, but we are looking at um, possibly a possibly, a, you know, a rising interest rate environment with the Fed decision coming down. Um, is growth really going to take a step back
4: as interest rates go higher, if they go higher? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it depends. Why are you know why are rates rising? You know, if if, if rates are rising, uh, you know, because uh, the the Fed needs to, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot right now about you know tapering. Uh, we've got the virtual Jackson Hole, uh, you know, federal. A reserve meeting this week. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, the chairman will speak on Friday. I mean, if, if they start to taper because, you know, they think the economy is doing, you know, incredibly well and, and that pushes rates up a little bit higher, um, I don't think it's a tremendous uh, headwind, uh, you know, for those longer duration uh, equity assets that, you know, fall into that, you know, technology bucket or, you know, kind of a legacy tech and, and communication services with, with names like Facebook and, Alphabet, uh, you know, aka Google. So, you know, to me, I, I think if rates are heading up for the right reasons, um, you know, it's it's not it's not going to cause that much uh, stress. Uh, we've seen periods of, of rising rates, and and tech is is actually one of your uh, your top performing uh, sectors. You know, certainly it's it's beneficial for. The value sectors, uh, and specifically something like financials, because uh, it helps you know banks with their net interest margin. Uh, but you know, it's it's not the, it's not the worst case scenario if rates are heading up, uh, you know, for the right reasons.
1: So, Rich, you mentioned the, the value first growth story, and on the in the large cap sector, growth has clearly caught up. Like right through last week, the growth sector was up seventeen point seven and in, in trailing. The value only by uh, 1.2%, but the story hasn't been the same on the small and, and mid um, sectors where the small um, value is up about 20% for the year and the, and the small growth is only up 1.2. So could you explain the, the, the dichotomy between uh, large cap and small cap and why they're so dis, dis different?
4: Yeah, so I mean, you know, s- small caps. I think it's, uh, you know, small. There, there's, there's, there's really, you know, if you want to get a gauge as to what the stock market thinks about the economy, I think you look at, you know, the small cap indices. So you look at the, you know, the Russell two thousand or the, you know, the S and P six hundred, and you. Know, there's some concern from the stock market uh, because the you know small caps, especially small cap value, they, they haven't made a new high since uh, really the the, the middle uh, of March. And so, uh, to us, um, you know, that's a little bit of a pause. That um, you know, you, you had a really big run up, uh, you know, forty to fifty percent, depending, um, you know, on the you know on the strategy and and where you were uh, in the small cap space uh certainly uh you know is not uncommon to sort of see you know uh, it, it kind of take a breath with all the other issues you know that, that we talked about um and the biggest move you know from sort of the the called the you know the vaccine announcement on you know on november 9th until the middle of march was really in uh, the more uh, small cap value uh, based uh, sectors, you know, a uh, really strong rebound uh, in financials, really strong rebound uh, in industrials, really strong rebound in uh, consumer discretionary. I think most folks are always familiar with, you know, large cap consumer discretionary, uh, discretionary names like an Amazon or a Home Depot's or a Lowe's or a Nike. Uh, but you know, down in the small cap, you've got you know some areas that were you know, benefiting from the resurgence, uh, you know, of, of folks feeling a little bit like we were, you know, back to normal. There's Hilton, there's Renaissance, Center, there's PVH, which owns Tommy Hilfiger and Tapestry, which owns coaches as people were back out, you know, shopping and, and doing more things, you know, in, 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 in person, um, over on the, you know, on the, on the small growth side, you're, 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 uh, You've got a a, a bigger weighting uh, in healthcare, um, which is certainly a sector that we talked about last time that that has rebounded nicely. But it's really rebounded a lot right now, uh, driven by either large cap pharma names. You know, Pfizer's done incredibly well this year, uh, and then also a, a very narrow subset uh, of the biotech uh, space. Uh, you know, specifically. You know the the mRNA vaccine providers, uh, Moderna, uh, BioNTech, uh, which partners with Pfizer uh, to make uh, their mRNA uh, COVID vaccine. I mean, just incredible uh, you know performance out of those stocks this year. Uh, and so if you if your if your fund or your benchmark didn't own that, you were you're kind of lagging behind. So uh, yeah, small growth has been you know definitely a little bit of a, a weaker area because. Tied to the, you know, you're tied to the economy, uh, but you don't have the maybe perhaps the staying power or the diversity of your business line, you know, that you find, you know, with some of the fang names, um, you know, in the large cap growth space.
2: So, Rich, to your point, um, you know, we, we've been waiting for a five, 10 percent pullback in these major indices, but the Russell really has done that already. Um, and so we're starting to hear that this actually might be going forward, might be a place to start allocating some dollars, uh, maybe, you know, dollar cost average in at all in one day. But maybe the opportunity
4: is in this in this space that you're talking about. Yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, you know a, a quote that I will share with you from from one of uh, the portfolio managers at, at Fidelity that we heard uh, when we talked to them uh, just a few weeks ago was, you, 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 you need to be you need to have that exposure to small caps uh, because when they move they're going to move pretty quickly uh, you know very hard to time that movement you know in small caps so. You know, it could be any one of the catalysts that we've talked about that 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 causes, uh, you know, kind of that resurgence. And, you know, you can just look at, um, you know, I I was looking at it from a sector lens, but, you know, energy stocks were down seven percent last week. And, you know, in the first two days this week, they're up uh, almost five percent. So, uh, you know, whether you talk about cyclicals, you talk about small caps, I think you need to have that exposure uh, because when they move, they're going to move quickly.
1: So to your point about that, there's no real nothing's really changed in the energy sector between this week and last week. So when that happens, is that just computer models stepping in, and just triggers going off that there are buy signals?
4: Yeah, I, w- I would say it's a, I'd say it's a combination of uh, you know some algorithm you know algorithm trading, but also you know a lot of times you know hedge funds, uh, investment banks um you know just kind of you know moving some of their positions around you know quite quickly that you know put some pressure uh you know on the on the stocks um you know hard i think sometimes for you know long-term investors to you know stay away from the daily movements uh you know especially if it's a you know if it's a position maybe you just put in the portfolio or just you know entered into because you're you're kind of excited about it you know you're like a new new thing to keep an eye on but um, you know, I think I think some of the best things we can do is, you know, just you know, understand why we've got that position in there and give it time to uh, you know to kind of to kind of play out. It you know, it, it it can be like we talked about last time, it can be that discussion around healthcare stocks where from essentially November to March, they didn't move. You know, everything else was working, but healthcare stocks weren't. Well, we, we wanted to stick with it. Valuations looked good, innovation looked good. Uh, you know, opportunity inside the, in the space uh, look very attractive. So, um, you know, there's, uh, yeah, I, I think if your investment thesis is sound, yeah, I think some of the uh, some of the things, one of the best things you could do is, you know, just stick with it for you know a little while, let those ideas, uh, you know, play out and stay away from uh, the short-term noise. A- especially too, you know, the other thing to think about right now and maybe. Maybe part of the reason. I mean, this is historically a little bit weaker time for the market, but it's also a little bit slower time. Uh, you know, as, as folks are, you know, kind of wrapping up the summer, still a little bit of vacations out there. Uh, you know, volume a uh, little bit lighter um, this time of year, and that can that can uh, exasperate some of the moves that you see as well.
2: Rich, you brought up uh, financials earlier in this conversation and um, obviously they've done well so far this year, but you look at the amount of money that these banks, primarily the big banks, have in, in deposits, and they're making very little interest on it. Then they're making very little profit. They're obviously paying even less out to the, the consumers. And loan demand has just dropped off a cliff. I mean, I saw a stat yesterday where 30% of all homes purchased uh, so far this year were cash, 100% cash with zero financing, all-time high. Where are the banks going to make money if, if the deposits they have aren't really making them any money and loan demand is way, way off, uh,
4: just falling off a cliff? How are the banks going to make any money? Yeah, so I mean, I, 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 I do think the, the consumer, no doubt, is is probably better positioned now than when we entered the, the downturn. But uh, a lot of that support is about to roll off here soon. We are starting to see, you know, a, a slight tick up in, in credit card usage. Um, so, I, you know, I think the consumer, you know, might start coming back, uh, you know, to their bank for uh, maybe more equity lines of credit. Um, I think, you know, as you start to see businesses, uh, you know, increase production, I think there's certainly, you know, a, a catalyst there for, uh, you know, for lending activity, but. Uh, I think the big case, you know, behind the banks is, uh, you know, this is, you know, as healthy and as attractive as their, you know, balance sheets have ever been. Um, the regulatory pressure, um, I think, has abated um, in terms of, um, you know, who's in the spotlight right now. It's, you know, you pick up the, you know, barons this weekend. It's, it's the, you know, it's the technology companies. It's the fan companies that. That I think Congress, uh, you know, has their eye on. So you've got this really good balance sheet. You've got less regulatory pressure, opportunity then for to increase, um, you know, share buybacks, increase uh, dividends. I also think uh, we'll see a you know, continued activity, you know, in, in the M and A space. Uh, probably, you know, not at the not at the major level that you know some of the names you mentioned uh, before. But you know, think about some of those regional banks um you know um in your area uh there's certainly been you know a lot more consolidation there in you know in the southeast we're we're seeing it in the mid-atlantic here even into uh in the texas uh where i live and then you know don't forget too you know the you know there's there's consumer finance uh inside there um we've got a really strong you know housing market uh that, that that i think can you know certainly help the banks um they, you know, banks are, you know, they're moving more into asset management, wealth management, which, uh, you know, delivers a much more consistent, you know, earning stream. Um, and so you you tie all those things together, and then, you know, if we see rates move back up, uh, we get a little bit steeper steepness in the yield curve. Um, you know, I, I think you add all those things together with the sector that still, when you look at all eleven of them, is The cheapest in terms of valuation, um, you know, it it makes a compelling case, uh, you know, to make sure financials are, you know, a portion of your portfolio.
1: So, Rich, we're we're running out of time. So let me ask you a more uh, global question. I know Fidelity, the way you guys manage money, it's not one voice like some investment houses. You know, you guys kind of have a committee. So what's Fidelity nervous about? as we head in towards the uh, latter part of 2021.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, we, we, we firmly believe we are, you know, in the, you know, in the, in the mid cycle uh, portion of the uh, you know, of, of the business cycle. So, you know, the, the, the good news there is listen, being in the mid cycle is still a very historically attractive return space for equities. It's, not quite as significant as it is coming out of you know a recessionary environment or in the early stages of the business cycle. You know, think of that. You know, May, you know, June, July time period where the where we exited the recession and and just you know the stock market was 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 very strong, but it's still you know above average historical returns. You know, for the you know for the you know for the equity market. I think the you know the the risk is, uh, you know, a slowdown <clears throat> in growth. Um, you know, any breakdown in the, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, any breakdown in the credit markets. Um, and then, you know, the maybe the one thing that we didn't talk about, but, you know, is I, I know everyone knows is so important is, you know, the E, we, you know, we talked about valuations a little bit, but, you know, do, do you start to see, you know, a, a, an earnings growth slowdown, uh, you know, and you start to see. You know, earnings peak or profit growth peak, Um, and so uh, you know, to me, that's that's probably the you know the the biggest wild card out there. If if we continue to see earnings uh, grow right now, you're seeing two out of three companies you know increase guidance uh, for every one company that's actually lowering their guidance. You know, if if earnings remain robust and strong, uh, you know, then then I think this is a you know an extended you know mid cycle period uh, you know where we where we we have, you know, good growth, uh, not inflationary pressures, um, and you can actually start to see, you know, where we started, you know, on this discussion, you can actually see those legacy technology, healthcare, growthier names work alongside, you know, the more cyclical uh, names inside the, you know, the financials and energy space that, you know, hopefully doesn't have to be this, you know, one's winning, one's losing. Um, You could, you could enter, you know, a, a good period of, of, of solid returns, you know, across the board, you know, might not be the 40, 50, you know, percent that we've seen in, in, in different moves. Um, but, you know, right now the S and P, you know, it's, it's trending towards, you know, you know, almost a 30% return. So, um, you know, nice to see the, you could uh, see an environment where the market starts to broaden out. So Rich, we are out of time um,
1: with your permission. We will have you back towards the end of the year to see, uh how we did with some of these, with some of these predictions. And um, as always, we appreciate your, your time this evening. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Rich. Have a great evening. We'll be right back after this break. When you're thinking about where to park your cash for over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes?
2: Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing, but I've been in this business for a long time and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash.
1: Sorry, Dom. But the beauty of the funds is paying less taxes on
2: cash. No, my friend, it's the potential for more income. Mm-mm. Less taxes. More income. Less taxes. More income. Less for taxes. your cash. More income. Ask your advisor mm-hmm. about
3: the Labenthol Ultra income. Short Tax Free Income Telling Fund. Less taxes or find globally. out more at dcmadvisors.com.
1: Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on, it's not
3: what you earn. Is what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax Free Income Fund. Symbol L E T A X. The tax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800 441 7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities. The interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax exempt should, in fact, be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors LLC and Ultimus Fund Distributors LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors LLC.
5: And welcome back to the Labenthal Report. I'm Jordan Kimmel, Chief Equity Strategist and Portfolio Manager. And it is a delight to bring on a good friend, an old friend from a little far back. Barry Seidel, thank you so much for joining us.
6: Thank you for having me, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here uh, with you.
5: So so let me just share for our viewers, I do know you for a very long time. You've had a really interesting, great career in the law industry. It's not my favorite industry, but you've had a way to kind of evolve. And we caught up last night, Barry. You know, we mentioned that, you know, the Darwin theory was not about the strongest survive, but the ones that evolve the most and adapt the best survive the best. And so it's a great time to just bring you on to start by, please mention your book. We're going to show it on the video. Uh, It's got a great title and and talk a little bit about the evolution that you've had.
6: Well, yes, uh, I uh, started out uh, back in 1982, graduated from the University of Texas uh, law school and found that uh, coming back to New York, I wasn't able to get uh, a a big time corporate job in New York. And maybe I wasn't really the right fit for that. uh, But I didn't let that discourage me. And at the time, I came across a book called How to Go Directly into Solo Law Practice Without Missing a Meal. It was (laughs) written by a lawyer in California. He had a little plan for starting a practice right out of school. I took a look at that book and I said, you know what he did in in LA? It would work better in New York. And I decided to give it a try. And 38 years, uh, still haven't missed a meal. And uh, evolved through various different areas of practice over time and made a nice uh, nice career for myself. 38 years, still doing it. Um, but share, Barry, the name of your book, because I think it tells the whole
5: story in, in a soundbite.
6: Yes, my book is uh, Evolutions of a Law Practice, how I started my law practice right out of law school and lived to tell about it. And uh, it, it actually turns out to be uh, quite appropriate for our current times and situations because in the book it's it's a memoir and I talk about the different uh, areas of law that I tried and how I adjusted and pivoted along the way. I was I experimented or did six or seven distinct areas of law and I was at a certain point of time in March of 2020 when all of a sudden the rug was pulled out and I found that I had to evolve once again, except this time it's a little bit different because evolutions usually happen slowly. Hmm. And this one happened suddenly and much of it for the good. And I think a lot of people are finding that they, they had to make quick decisions or at least a lot of people did. They had to step back and have a little bit of perspective. Where am I? What, what do I have? What are, my, what are my assets that I'm holding? What would I really like to do sitting around and getting to think about that for a good number of months last year, uh, gave me the opportunity to plan some new things and evolve relatively quickly compared to the usual evolutions. Right. Well, well, Barry, you know,
5: in the last couple episodes, interestingly enough, we've had on guests talking about how uh, stay at home, work at home, uh, that whole transition took place. You were actually ahead of the curve uh, in terms of helping in the suburb of Forest Hills, New York, great place, um, where really helping lawyers uh, be somewhere that they weren't then. You were ahead of the curve. You transitioned again ahead of the curve. Um, and so I give you so much credit for that. Thank you.
6: I saw at a certain point uh, in my career, I'm going to say eight or 10 years ago, that. Technology for lawyers in regular general practice and in the non-corporate world, people doing regular things, whether it's accident cases, divorces, estates, immigration, all of those things, lent themselves very well to technology. I wasn't the only one who realized. There's lots of people did. it's a u- Legal tech is a huge industry. I was an early adapter of uh, uh, cloud managed, uh, cloud-based case management. I was an early user of, uh, of something called Clio, And uh, uh, I've been using it for about eight years so that when the pandemic uh, hit and people were working from home, well, I had an office, but I was working from home a lot and remotely anyway. I I had an associate attorney and a paralegal who were coming into the office, but they were Clio users also. And so when we needed to work at home for a while, we were able to do it pretty easily. Uh, and I found that uh, my two employees both kind of kind of like it one likes it more than the other but that's okay and everybody's okay. got to find their level of right. home and office. I really like working from home it's been it's been a great for me. I find it much more productive. I can set out blocks of time and work uh, quietly and when you have an office and people are coming in and talking it's it's hard to do that um, so I've, uh, I have found this is uh, my next evolution has been came suddenly, but I've been kind of liking it. Right. And so Barry,
5: you know, we talked last night, we got to catch up and I'm really glad. I love your family. I love you, frankly. I think you're a great guy. But, you know, we talked about something that maybe we could bring it into the Labenthal discussion. While you do lots of things, one of the things you shared with me is the probate process issues you've had. So at our firm, we do financial planning. We talk about not only beginning the process, but completing that process. And and you started sharing a story or a couple stories about probates that didn't go so easily because they weren't completed properly. And maybe, you know, it'd be be great discussion.
6: Sure. There's there's quite an interplay between the main uh, practice area that I've been focusing on the last 10 years which is probate and estate administration. Now that's distinct, but related to estate planning. So right. a lot of the cases that I have start out, somebody died and then, and when that happens, there's three, there's three yes, no questions in every case. There's a will or there's not, the right. situation's friendly or it's unfriendly. I'm being asked to represent the fiduciary, the person handling the estate or someone affected by what the fiduciary is doing or not doing. I know quite a bit about, even though I don't practice directly in the area, uh, about estate planning, something that anybody with any assets at all should be doing, if for no other reason than to end up in one of the crazy situations that end up in my office. I kind of like what I do. That's why I do it. Um, But I'm very familiar with what goes on in the estate planning area. I I refer uh, matters to estate planning attorneys all the time. And I would say there are, there are two sort of subcategories of that kind of work. There's more of the, uh, the high-end um, tax planning, estate planning, pass on to the next generation planning. That's a kind of a specialized area and it's appropriate for a lot of, a lot of people. However, there are many middle-class, upper middle-class people who can benefit from that somewhat. But even more than that, there's a whole area of a different type of estate planning, which I call Medicaid planning, which is what moves can I do? What consultations, what documents can I prepare and file to avoid a disaster lurking over a lot of families of some means, which is God forbid somebody, a mom or a mom or a dad ends up in a nursing home and it wipes out their assets and it wipes out everyone's inheritance. It doesn't take many years in a nursing home where someone hasn't planned to have that happen. I see it, I see it a lot. Uh, Right, And so Barry, while we help a lot of high net
5: worth individuals, a lot of our practice uh, are individuals that have built their own practices that came from where we came from, maybe state schools, built up a net worth, uh, built their own businesses, those things actually, uh, you know, over time, become surprisingly valuable and 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 without the right planning without the right execution of the lawyers to really see it through the process uh sometimes you think you have it done but it's not completely done
6: well that's that's a related issue i mean people should not people should seek out expert counsel for those things not be afraid to invest a couple of bucks to do it right And there's a related thing to that. And when I think what you were referring to earlier, where people don't do it right, I've encountered lots of situations where people did fancy estate planning with with expensive lawyers and they only took it to step one. Mm. People can set up trusts that would be great at transferring assets, but you got to put the assets (laughs) into the trust. And there's lots of reasons why people don't. And sometimes they put most of it in, but not all of it. Sometimes it's a question of maintaining control sometimes they acquire an asset later for, through inheritance through continuing to work through business through selling something if it's not in it ends up basically in my office going through the regular probate system not that there's anything wrong with that the probate <laughs> system the probate system works the stuff ends up going where it's supposed to go uh, right. And so, so, so Barry, an... let
5: me say this. You know, you were a leader back in school when I knew you. Uh, people look for you for guidance. And I've also mentioned the beginning, you know, you've evolved a couple of times. I'm going to actually throw the, the door open here for you to maybe talk about something that I can't even think about asking you something, maybe that you're doing in your practice, maybe that people should be thinking about uh, that you're handling for people that that maybe I couldn't even think to ask you?
6: Well, I mean, we talk about evolving practices, I'll talk about where I was when the pandemic hit, just as as an example of how you can't be so locked into something that you can't adjust to new things, which we've all had to do. When the pandemic hit, I was doing a little side hustle, which was really the main part of my business. It was a service business to lawyers where I covered cases in Queen's Supreme and civil court for other lawyers It was a service business that evolved from noticing that the court system was very efficient. They had all these dopey appearances attorneys <laughs> didn't want to go. I figured out a way to market it I built it up. It was the main part of my practice. However, I never thought it would last forever because it was based on inefficiencies in a court system that I knew eventually eventually would get better. At the same time, I kept the private practice area, which was the probate and estate stuff. And it was about 30% of what I was doing. Since March 20th of 2020, my per diem business, which was a very successful business, has been a zero. Courts are essentially closed. Not only that, they haven't really reopened. I saw in April or May of last year that the little bit of virtual that the courts were starting to do was going to work. And all of the stuff that I thought was going to evolve gradually, and over time, maybe I'd retire with my per diem appearance business fading into the sunset. But all at once, it became a zero. And I had to decide what to do. Some of my colleagues didn't see that it was zero and are collecting unemployment, waiting for it to come back, right? It's not going to come back. Uh, so what I did was I took my 30% of my practice. That was the probate and estate stuff that I kind of liked. I looked at, well, I've got a reputation. I know how to do it. I've got staff that knows how to do it. Actually, one, did, one didn't one did so much because she mostly worked in the court business. Okay. So we switched her. We, my associate and I said to her, listen, Barry has concluded. I have concluded. The court business is probably finished. She's a great worker. I'd love you to stay with me. Would you like to learn to do the probate with us? Which she kind of knew a little bit. So we did that and it took a while, but I was confident the whole time that it would go from, all right, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. It's getting a little better. It's getting a little better. Hey, I kind of like this. I really didn't like the court business so much. I was, I was solving a problem for other attorneys. Here's what I used to say to some of my friends during the business. We used to say in the court appearance business, bad is good. The court system is bad for attorneys. It's good for us. That was true to a point. At a certain point, bad becomes so bad. It's intolerable. And Mm. I realized in hindsight, when I stopped doing it and sitting at home and having perspective, I was kind of glad to not be doing it and to be what I call like a real lawyer doing a practice area that I like. It's been okay. And actually more than okay. It's been fantastic. Well, well, Barry. I mean, that's the uh, the old side of you that I know.
5: It's the point guard side that knows how to distribute, <laughs> yes. that knows how to adapt. And uh, you know what I have to say is that um, we're both still pretty young. I I love what I do. It sounds like you're you're really catching a, a another wave. Maybe we could help some some people in our own way together. But we have a lot of common friends. You got a lot of common history. I love your story. Um, we're going to wrap up this segment. I want you once again. Uh, we're going to show the book on the on the video. Remind us the 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 not only the book but anywhere if anyone wants to find you where we could
6: find you. Oh, there you go. There. Evolu- Evolutions of a law practice. www.evolutionsofalawpractice.com. Uh, it's available on Amazon. And, you know, and uh, I think it's uh, people tell me that it's a good read. Uh, I like to joke around that uh, this book, uh, it's a self-published and I, it came out in December of 19, right before the pandemic. So I could say I was about to go on a nationwide book tour, but it was interrupted by the (laughs) pandemic. Okay, maybe that's not exactly how it went because I was actively in practice and doing what I'm doing, but I'm very proud of the book. And people who are not lawyers that have read it have told me many times that they really like it because it's not just a story about law practice. It's more how do you approach business, entrepreneurship, problem solving, making changes and adjustments and learning things along the way. I'd say that's the biggest theme in the book is I I realized when I wrote it, I was very naive when I started, but I didn't know it at the time, so it didn't scare me. Looking back, I don't even know how I did some of the things that I did, but I did them using something that I use to this day, which is you have an idea. I like to say, when you do things, things happen, often unexpected things and almost always good things. So all throughout my career, as I evolved into different areas, I would try some little marketing idea. Sometimes they worked, very often they worked and very often in unexpected ways sometimes amazing ways too. well barry i love it you're a good guy you're a great guy you're a great friend
5: i'm so glad to have you on today we're going to wrap up this segment we're going to be right back with more of the labenthal report and we'll be in touch real soon thanks once again for coming on
6: thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed it
5: all righty we'll Alrighty. be right back with mike and dom to wrap up the show
0: financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news trends and overall direction of the markets. Now back to the Labenthal report.
1: And I'm Michael Hartzman back with Dominic Tavella. You know, Don Barry, Barry Seidel made some very good points, at the end of that segment about documentation check it twice check it a year later make sure it's still what you want um as we were saying on the break how many times have we encountered uh, a family member calling up with mom or dad literally on their deathbed and we're scrambling to change whatever it is they want to change
2: Look, uh, it's, a, it's an unfortunate reality, especially now with COVID and, and is uh, now what, a year and a half plus into it. And we get these calls on a, on a regular basis. Both of you have been, you and I have been practitioners for over 30 years. So we've had clients who are basically like our own families, and they do pass away. And, and then we find out later on that the trust that they had created, they spent a lot of money, wasn't funded, that assets weren't transferred, that a beneficiary form wasn't changed, that they have life insurance policies with spouses' names on them that weren't updated. Uh, we can go on and on, right, Mike? And it's so important that you look at these documents on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be once a year, but every three, five, 10 years, look at these documents. And and I'm gonna stop talking so you can pick up the ball on this one, Mike, but we beg clients to bring these documents into us. Let us review them, let us help you. Um, And it's, it's really an important part of our practice.
1: Yeah, and the other part of that, Dominic, I had an interesting experience a month or two ago, a client of mine, a friend of mine, his dad um, set up an irrevocable trust, and unfortunately, wants to cut out one of the beneficiaries, which is one of his children. Unfortunately, and you know, my friend is the trustee, and and you know, you create an irrevocable trust. It's really really difficult to unwind unwind that thing. So I think the other part of it is you know, you clients go and talk to people like Barry and our friend Harold, but they quickly forget what they've actually committed to do. And and these trusts really take on a life of their own.
2: Uh, and I'm sure it's happened to you as well. My clients will bring these trusts in and we'll go, what, what is it that you exactly wanted to do? Mm-hmm. What is it that you think you did? And of course, we read these documents and then speak to the attorneys. It's not what the client had in mind or what their understanding of it was. And it becomes a challenge to sometimes to unravel some of these things that they went ahead and created. So, uh, it's so important to bring an expert like Barry in or so your attorney. We, we don't care who, who your, your counsel is, but bring an advisor that you trust in. Have your, your partners, your wealth planning partners, your attorney, your CPA, your financial uh, person all in the room or on a conference call and make sure everybody's on the same page and you clearly understand what it is that you're trying to get done.
1: Yes, and the other part of that, Dominic, which really never gets really paid much attention to is we've had a really, really, really good stock market. So one of our clients could say, I'm going to leave 5% to so-and-so charity and 5% 10 years ago may have been $50,000 and 5% now may be a half a million dollars. And and that's the other part of these documents that need to be reviewed Is, are you still comfortable leaving, you know, X amount of this large amount of money to a charity? Number one, do you still like this charity? Number two, this is a larger sum of money. So is this still your intention? And, and you still might
2: like the charity, but you may not like the child uh, in the case <laughs> that you brought up. So again, this is who you named as your beneficiaries, right? This is who, or a TOD transfer upon debt form. This is who you want these assets to go to. Is that still your wish? And if you want to change it, sign the form, stop talking about it, sign the form, we're we're agnostic, we don't care. But our job at the end of the day is to make those wishes, if possible, happen. And too often, those things slip through the cracks, then we get the phone call. And I've had the unfortunate experience over the last several months ago, I know this is what he told you, this is not what the signed piece of paper says,
1: and our hands are clearly tied. No, they absolutely are. So listen, we're we're just about out of time. Next week, we're gonna cover a topic, Dominic, that we never covered, which is really super important, and that's social security. So nationwide got us an expert, and we're gonna go through all of the permutations of Social Security. 62, full retirement, 70. We
2: get questions on this all the time. All it's such the time. Important subject. So great
1: stuff great stuff. And if you're out there, we would, I would encourage you to uh, join us next week as well. And Dom, we are officially out of time. You stay well, and I will see you down the road. Be safe, Mike. Have a good night, everybody.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Leventhal Report. Dominic, Michael, and Jordan will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific time and 5 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.